We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, you're about to be employed in the food service industry. Well, How do you let's... feel? Let's not jump the gun just yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm yes, I'm I'm training for some line cookery uh a little later today. We'll see how that goes. I'd also like to mention that this past weekend I was up at my parents' new place for my dad's 60th birthday. So I'd like to wish him a happy birthday. That contrarian son of a bitch is the reason I have any critical impulse at all. So I <laughs> guess we should all be thankful. <laughs> Absolutely. We were had a little different format last week. This week we're back to our regular format-ish, at least for the summer. We're going to talk with Jason the TV-holic about Lux a little later in the show, Life Unexpected. That was fun. Yes, and we were worried about it for reasons that will become clear when the shelf starts. But it actually went really, really well. We had a really good time. Yeah, we had a little different podcast last week, but I thought it was pretty fun. Uh, what about you? Oh, well, that ruled. Uh, we talked. Girls and Twin Peaks, Adam Kepner was there, Lindsay, one of my very best friends from the uh, Doctor Who podcast, and a good time was had by all, except for you, because you weren't there for a bunch of it. But I was ably filled in for by Justine Smith from Sound On Sight, uh, the Sound right. podcast, which was, uh, it was just so much fun, actually, being on the, the other side of the of the podcast, I guess, for a little bit, listening to you guys talk girls. And I, I've done some soul searching, and I've determined that I am probably also a Marnie with some Shoshana. So, like, I don't think I'm quite peppy or awake enough to be Shoshana. So, like, a blend of those two, I guess, is where I would put myself. You're a Marsha. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, yeah, in case anyone is confused, there was a... Um, Adam Kempinar threw it out in a, in a moment of, of inspiration at the end of our girls' segment... When I thought we were done, <laughs> he threw out the question, which which girl are you in, in the in the method that people apply to Sex and the City? And I determined that I, well, after that, that, some social... No. no, what? They should listen to the episode to find no, out. Yeah. Go back to last week's episode, number 42. Yeah, that's right. I'm not a Marnie, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Um, we heard from, we heard, I got some, actually some, a bunch of really nice comments from people that, who enjoyed the episode, uh, enjoyed the girls in Twin Peaks talk. We heard from Mario, for example, who says that he's a Hannah and, uh, enjoyed having the guests on. So thank you guys all very much for your, for your kind thoughts about the episode, please. Uh, now if, if you were feeling particularly kind towards last week's episode or this week's episode or any episode, you could always drop over to iTunes and, uh, leave us a rating or a review, which would help us out and be very much appreciated. Yes. Do that, please. We need those things to live. <laughs> Well, it helps people find our podcast, and if they do stumble across it, because uh, we are still very new, then it helps them know that 
I guess theoretically we're not completely crazy, so that's that's good. Yeah, we're we're not just talking to to open air with, <laughs> with no with no stimuli returning. Yes, it would be very much appreciated. So uh, you can we have an MP3 and an M4A feed up in iTunes, and you can find us there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you want to leave us uh, comments or send us emails, there will be plenty of ways to do that that we'll talk about at the end of the show. But let's uh, talk just a minute uh, before we get into our weekend TV. You have a shiny new blog. Oh, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I decided I needed an outlet to talk about TV and music and film in a slightly less formal fashion than usual, so I have a blog. It's called All Watched Up, and it's allwatchedup.blogspot.com for now. When I have the scratch, I'll pay for the proper .com domain, but it'll have to do for now, or you can just Google it, because that's what you hear the kids do nowadays. <laughs> anyway, I'm trying to keep it updated on a semi-regular basis. And that's about it. Good times. Good times. Anything else going on sound of sight we should uh, uh, let the people know about? Uh, well, since you've been slacking off on your I articles, have. I think I'm, I'm, I believe that sometime on Wednesday I'm putting up my top 10 episodes of 2012 so far, a limit of one episode per show so that it's not just Mad Men traipsing <laughs> all over everyone. And uh, yeah, of course, I'm kind of stuck at nine, but I'm going to keep thinking about it. Yeah, I'm anyway, sure. You'll, you'll see the results tomorrow. Good stuff. And uh, I have been definitely slacking off. Uh, just got back in uh, in in the country, but and so I was going to start excuses, up my excuses. I was going to start up my writing again, and then I realized that I'm exhausted and I'm about to leave for Comic Con in two weeks. So maybe I should you know sleep and store up some energy for that. So we're gonna. I'll, I'm sure in the next few weeks I'll start putting up some uh, some information about what's going on at Comic Con TV wise. There's a bunch of panels that are going to be happening. Um, and at Comic-Con last year, the the TV um, panels that they had, particularly on Sunday, were just overflowing with guests. They had not booked them in the appropriate spaces. So this year, it looks like a lot of the bigger shows are getting uh, much larger venues and more uh, prominent billing. So it should be a, a, a good year for TV at Comic-Con. So that's coming. Also, I will mention that there's going to be uh, the Battleship Pretension and Criterion cast guys are doing a meetup on that Thursday, which I will be at. So if you're going to be at Comic-Con, you should show up and hang out and uh and, you know, meet me and the other people who are going to be hanging out there. So that should be a lot of fun. And I will put some information about that in the next couple of weeks. I'll mention it. And I forget the name of the bar right now, but uh, I'll put that in the show notes so that people can find that. I would love to, you know, actually get to meet some of our fabulous listeners face to face. So let me know if you're going to be at Comic-Con because I'm going to be there by myself. I'm going to need some friends. So, mm-hmm. yeah. We have a bunch of shows this week, uh, a couple of premieres. We have Futurama sh- uh, coming back for its new season and Wilfred and a bunch of other stuff. So let's let's dive in. Yeah, and a bunch of these we're doubling down on. Yeah, because uh, we skipped them last week. So first uh, is Futurama, which had its two-episode premiere, The Bots and the Bees, and A Farewell to Arms. So now, are you a Futurama guy? Have you had a long relationship with this show? Uh, yeah. I mean, my feeling on Futurama, and I apologize if I said this 20 episodes ago and you're hearing me say yeah. it again, is it's a very, it's generally a very pleasant show, sort of, it, it tends to coast by on, you know, a couple of chuckles here and there, it looks great, it always has, you know, it's got a great voice cast, et cetera, et cetera, and then every once in, I don't know, once every eight or nine episodes, they'll pull out something fantastic, and neither of those episodes, I don't think qualified but they were both fun and uh and breezy and an easy watch 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I really enjoy Futurama. Whenever they th are throwing their the minutia uh, of the references to other sci-fi and uh, and comedy shows and stuff, I that's what I particularly enjoy. And they do, I think they do a pretty good job of blending that with with the characters that they've developed. Though some of them do feel somewhat stagnant at this point, um, so it would be nice if they could do more to stretch these characters because they have shown the capability to do that. Um, in the past, but for for just fun episodes, diverting episodes, I think they both succeed. Yeah, I think in when you're talking about stagnant, I I feel like that's definitely the word for the whole Fry Leela mm -hmm. relationship angle. I mean, uh, you know, when they really thought they were ending a couple seasons ago, they found a great way to a great note to end that on, and it's kind of just been stuck on that note ever since. And I'm it'd be nice if they found some way to let that relationship evolve. Which is a weird thing to talk about in a show that's so episodic and so wacky, but, you know, they do return to that well a lot. Well, the, you know, they're very good at that note, but the trouble is when you keep playing it over and over again, it it loses its significance and it even can retroactively degrade some of their their particularly poignant episodes. Like, I love the idle hands are the devil, no, the devil's hands are idle playthings, which is their theoretical uh, series finale back when they is got canceled. One of the, is yeah, like top 10 episode for sure. Yeah, it's fabulous. Um, and there's a lot of really great Fry and Leela stuff. But when you see where they've gone since then and the fact that they've done nothing to really investigate those characters since that point, they just keep repeating the same ideas. It it does diminish the, the strength of, of that episode and several other, others. So basically, I agree with exactly what you said and uh, I'm repeating you. So we should move on. All right. Next, I'll just mention briefly Inside Men, which uh, is a four-episode series of the British airing on BBC America. And uh, I believe it's just going to have the one series and be done. So it's much more like a mini-series, I would say, um, to American sensibilities at least. It's about a bank heist, or not a bank heist, a, uh, a cash heist at a, a warehouse or a facility where they count cash for, for banks and for supermarkets and all sorts of other um, all places. So this place gets robbed and then you, the, the series flashes back between different times. It starts with the robbery and then we see the events leading up to it and the events, um, immediately, uh, following and it's sort of all jumbled together. And there's a lot of strong performances. It's an interesting show. It didn't explode my brain with awesome, but I think it's, it's definitely a solid, enjoyable, um, Hour. So if, if you have BBC America and you're looking for something a little more tense and action-filled as we wait for Breaking Bad to come back, uh, then <laughs> this is definitely uh, a show to check out. Yeah, I don't, there's not going to be a whole lot of head explodey awesome this week. You may notice <laughs> there's there's no spotlight. Yeah, we're skipping the spotlight because uh, nothing quite quite earned it. But if we're going to talk about wacky, like we, as we do with Futurama, as well as some maybe some tense moments, let's talk about the uh, past two episodes of Eagleheart, Tramps, and Bringing Down Bunju. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm I'm having a hard time remembering Tramps right now, but but uh, Bringing Down Bunju was maybe the furthest they've gone on a surreal tip. It was. Sort of a, I mean, how do you describe this? It was sort of a Jumanji riff mixed with, I don't know. How would you classify this one? I would classify it as the writers of this episode are very tired of being forced to play board games. 
<laughs> I guess. That's, I think that gives you everything you need to know. Uh, I, I was actually wondering how you were going to respond to the show's clear anti-board game bias. Oh, well, I mean, I love board games, but I, it, I think it actually gave me even more enjoyment because I've watched, for example, one of my brother's really like like i was playing settlers of catan with my with my family and teaching the game to my my parents and my sister and at least for my mom and my sister it was too complicated for them and if you know board games at all you know that settlers is one of the most uh, easily uh, picked up by new people kind of games it's really uh, very straightforward as com- on the scale of how these things go so i have a lot of experience with myself wanting to play, you know, but it's fun and and everybody else just shaking their head at me. So I actually really enjoyed that aspect of this episode. I just realized that the reason I can't remember Tramps is because I didn't see it. I thought uh, Exit Through the Exit Wound the Gift Shop was the previous episode and it wasn't. So what was Tramps about? Tramps was about uh, the king of the tramps. Uh, I believe his name was Otis being uh, kidnapped so that a government military weapons developers could steal his imagination because because <laughs> tramps are actually aliens and they drink oh, what was it fun juice or something like that which on our planet is sterno but on their planet allows them to imagine anything and make it real um it it's so yes it's it's one of the loopier episodes and then at the end it's implied that perhaps this was all just a an amusement park ride that they were on and none of it actually happened it's it's a fun episode so i would <laughs> you know when you're talking about I, I, bungie being the most surreal they've gone i think i would actually give that to tramps but you know okay it seems like they're just descending into total anarchy at this point which is yeah. great for them yeah, it works. I think they're doing a good job with it. Um, next, we have So You Think You Can Dance, which got to its Vegas callbacks. And you know, I think I really like this show. I'm so glad that I'm watching it week to week now, uh, just because there, it's a reality competition show, but it's done well. And it's sort of, you know, when I talk to people about music, um, often I find myself defending uh, musical forms or, or genres that I don't actually particularly enjoy just based on the fact that I feel that any kind of music can be great. It just, there's often a lot of bad versions of it. So mm. I feel like this is a prime example of that. Any kind, any form, any genre of art can be really good. So reality competition shows can be really good. It's just the fact that there are so many terrible ones doesn't negate how successful So You Think You Can Dance is. So I've been really enjoying enjoying it. And one of the interesting things this week, well, there are a couple... <laughs> First of all, this one girl got kicked in the head hard doing a, 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 a routine. She was partnering with somebody uh, after she'd already made it through, actually, because he didn't have a partner. And he, he he miscalculated and just smacked her in the head and she had to get taken to the hospital. Uh, so that was, you know, that's the kind of thing that happens on this show. Um, but also, it was really interesting to see who succeeded and who didn't, um, because there are a lot of fantastic, amazing dancers who are really good at what they do, but aren't able to to do all the different styles that they have to do on the show. So they start out with solos, but then they have to do uh, hip hop and they have to do contemporary and jazz and group and all these different things. And so watching a group of 100 and I believe it was 80 get whittled down to 35 was really interesting. So I love So You Think You Can Dance. I can see that. <laughs> um, next, we have uh, Wilfred, which started its season two premiere. Progress. Now, you watched season one, yes? I did. And you know what's funny is, I guess I can spoil this since now you've watched the season two premiere. 
What was great about the season one finale was it opened with a lost joke and then ended with a lost worthy cliffhanger, <laughs> which which they walk back from in the most ridiculous fashion possible in the, in this premiere. Uh, you know, I, I I read a lot of people not so uh, n- not didn't really care for this episode that much since it kind of felt like it was a it was a very tentative premiere just because so much of it ended up not being real. Spoiler alert for anyone who didn't watch it. Um, but I didn't really care. It seemed perfectly in keeping with the show's weird style. Wilfred is, it's not a brilliant show. It's not a perfect show, but it's totally unlike anything else on TV in that it's a psycho comedy as opposed to a psycho drama. It's, it's able to have its cake and eat it, eat it too, in the sense of, yes, we can, you know, develop a mythology of sorts and, and you know make leaps into the unknown but we can also none of it needs to add up because you know it's a comedy and you don't need to think too hard about it so it's i feel like they've they've come they've come on this nice balance where they can just as easily have characters revealing themselves to not be real or to be of a different nature than you expect and they can have stupid dog jokes <laughs> yeah i hadn't seen any season one and both you and sean ingram from uh previously on had been on me to 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 give it a shot that i would like the show that i should just ignore that stupid part voice in my head saying it, it didn't look like my kind of humor uh and and so i did and i was very pleasantly surprised i really enjoyed this episode and if this is the not good version of Wilfred, like some people's, like some reviews seem to be telling me, then apparently I really do need to check out the first season because I thought it was a lot of fun. And I loved the surreal elements. I loved, you didn't quite know what was going on. And yeah, it was, <laughs> they definitely subverted my expectations a solid two or three times within the course of the episode, as well as I enjoy a lot of the casting. So I look forward to seeing where they go with some of that. So, yeah, I had a lot of fun with this episode, and I don't get the hate. But then again, I didn't see season one, so maybe that's why. Yeah, and the Robin Williams thing was priceless, I thought. It was amazing. I was so glad when that happened. It's at least the best use of Robin Williams in a decade. In quite a while, yeah, (laughs) definitely. Definitely. But if we're going to talk about casting, we should talk uh, a little bit about True Blood and their episode, Authority Always Wins, and Whatever I Am You Made Me, because we had uh, Chris Maloney showing up in his role as Roman, the authority guy. I don't remember his (laughs) chancellor or something like that. Uh, What... (laughs) Head authority guy. A lot of the uh, the critics who received the screeners, which unfortunately does not include us at this point, um, got about four episodes at once and uh, seemed okay with the, or not to like the premiere, but just to see feel the season got worse and worse as it went along. Um, we enjoyed the premiere. What did you think of these next two episodes? There's still, as uh, avid listeners will recall, I've never seen any True Blood before this, so I'm still working out how it is all these characters know each other. Because the thing is, we're following like seven or eight plot lines, and every once in a while I'll find out they're related or they used to be, you know, whatever. And I'm still finding out like characters that seem to be human, they'll just announce, I'm a witch, or I'm a fairy, (laughs) or I'm a robot. And, you know, I didn't know that until you just said so. Uh, so I'm, I'm still working all this out, but um, as for Chris Maloney, um, I think it's a little unfortunate that his character is so straight-laced. I mean, he, on, on one hand... absolutely humorless, which is disappointing. He's very humorless. On the other hand, he's he's pretty campy. So 
it's 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 a it's a weird it's a weird blend. He's certainly hamming it up in a way that he w- isn't really allowed to do on Law and Order. So in that sense, it's fun. It would be nice if he you know smiled or went on about the perils of cooties or something, uh, a la Wonder Chosen. Uh, as for the rest of it, I thought the the most recent episode was better than um, than the authority themed episode. Oh, wow, I need titles. Um, <laughs> Whatever I am, you made me, which is the most recent episode. This right, episode. I thought that was that was a little better. I'm not really sure what the point of all these flashbacks with Pam are. Not really sure what the point of the stuff with Jason Stackhouse is. Not sure what the point of the stuff with the soldiers is. Uh, maybe you can enlighten me on some of that. No, not most oh, of it. Okay. I can Just let checking. you on the the Pam flashbacks. Um, in in the previous seasons, uh, now as as Pam's maker, she and Eric Eric shared a very uh, significant bond with her, and they were really tight. And so in last season, some some stuff went down, and Eric sent her away. And so that's what that's about. She you know she's crying her blood tears because uh, she really misses Eric um, and is very upset that that bond has been torn. So that's what that's about. And also we just like Pam. So they figured this okay. is a way to give us more Pam, which is, I don't, I'm curious what you think about it, but I feel like it's incredibly predictable and uninteresting the way they've, the backstory they've chosen to give her. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, even as someone who's watched four hours of the show, it seems pretty much like what you'd expect. Yeah. Uh, the other relationship I don't really get right now is, Alcide and Sookie, I don't know what that's about. Has she just boned everyone? Is that what's going on? No, she has not boned Alcide. Um, uh, Alcide thinks she's pretty. Um, Alcide likes her and she likes him, but not as much as he liked his crazy dead dead wife, girlfriend. I don't remember, fiance, something like that. Um, And it's not as much as she liked uh, uh, her her vampire boys. So nothing's really ever come of that. Um, mostly I think they realized that Joe Manganel, I feel terrible getting that because it's not a difficult name. I just don't have it in front of me here. So I sound like a moron, but, um, I think they just recognize that he's, uh, charismatic and wanted to keep him on the show. He's a very popular character with the fans and they don't really have anything to do with him. So instead of charismatic is one word for it. He's very pretty, but everybody on the show, as I've said before, everybody on the show is ridiculously good looking or they're incredibly funny and they just are regular good looking. So those are the two options. So he is of the incredibly good looking portion of the cast, but I, it's just it's a disappointment. It was fabulous when Sookie blasted off Debbie Pelt's head because we were done with Debbie Pelt as much as I enjoyed Brit, Brit Morgan in the role. But now they just keep dragging it out. So her parents have shown up and we're getting more drama. It's like they don't know when to cut their losses on the show, uh, which is disappointing. And one of those is uh, is Jason, I think. Um, there are potentially interesting ways that this could go, uh, except that we've seen them, the same storyline now for three seasons. So, I mean, what are you thinking of this? Uh, I mean, it's a mess, clearly. I mean, I don't need to have seen the other supposedly better seasons to know that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's a it's a perfectly passable way to spend 55 minutes watching everyone get naked and bloody and swear <laughs> at each other. That's what are fine. you thinking of uh, Tara at the moment? Because she's a difficult character for a lot of fans, but Alan Ball, the creator, loves her, and that's, her, that's his favorite character on the show. So I'm curious what you think of her. 
Well, she's not really much of a character yet. She's just sort of a mewling... I mean, she was dead for an episode, and now she's a mewling vampire creature. I don't have this complicated relationship that Fancy to have where they were happy when she was dead, and now they're seemingly not so happy that she isn't. Um, I mean, I don't have any of that baggage. This is all This is all the fault of the people who watch stuff. <laughs> this, is, this is not me. The only thing I have with to add that you might not know about the Tara storyline is that her reaction to the change to becoming a vampire is rare in that she hasn't eaten anyone or sucked anyone's blood. And that is incredibly rare. We have never seen somebody become a vampire and not immediately just start eating whoever's there. So she is actually showing a lot of control and restraint while she's ex you know, bashing all of their houses to shreds. Um, so that that's kind of interesting. But other than that, I mean... There's nothing really new to add to to that storyline. We'll see what where things go. The odd the odd pairing of uh, Tara and Pam. Pam hates Tara to start with, so that could be interesting. But they haven't done anything with it yet, so mm -hmm. we'll see. And they keep and they keep teasing uh, Russell, but he hasn't turned up yet. Well, he sort of did last week, mm -hmm. but not yeah. in a way that required Dennis O'Hare's actual presence. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I'm still watching. I'm glad, actually, at this point that I'm not reviewing it week to week. Uh, my schedule just, schedule just hasn't really made that feasible, but I don't think I would have that much to say about this season so far. So I'm actually kind of glad I don't have to write it up each week, which is disappointing. Oh, but, well. Oh, well. Let's move on. Next, we have perhaps the uh, most buzzed about pilot since at least girls if not before then and that's newsroom we just decided to aaron sorkin is one of the most distinctive auteurs we have in television i would say and uh he he what first he, he did sports night and then west wing and then studio 60 on the sunset strip and now newsroom for many, it's been diminishing returns ever since uh, the West Wing ended, but uh, I'm curious what you think of this pilot. Well, it's worth noting, I mean, his auteurness extends beyond television. I mean, you can easily draw a line to any of his film projects, A Few Good Men or Charlie Wilson's War or what have you. Social Network, obviously. There's, you know, Sorkinosity is definitely a thing. Um, as for the newsroom... It's a real mixed bag, even from the beginning. And I'm, I, I think what's concerning is, uh, again, people more important than us have seen the first four or five episodes. And I've heard from a few places that they don't get better. They actually get progressively worse, which is troubling. I mean, the, the stuff that works, I think, works really nicely. I th the, especially in the second half of the episode when they're more focused on the, on the crisis with the, with, with the oil spill is great and it's it buzzes it's it's got kinetic energy it's uh, it it's it hums along nicely the the dialogue crackles the performances work that 15 20 minute segment of the episode is really great a lot of stuff before that and after that is troublesome for me yeah there's several there's several elements to this pilot that I very much enjoy um I, I'm a big fan of uh, Aaron Sorkin's work in general. I really, I love Sports Night. I love The West Wing. I stuck it through with Studio 60 despite its problems due to my enjoyment of Sorkinese and the uh, the cast. And here in the newsroom, a lot of the same problems that 
were managed well in the West Wing in Sports Night and not so well in Studio 60 have popped up again. And it looks like, from what we're hearing from other sources, that these are the troubling things that are the frustrating elements of the show that just get worse as it progresses. Um, and maybe what Aaron Sorkin needs is somebody who will edit him in a way that I doubt they're going to do over at HBO because that's not really their thing. Um, but I did actually enjoy a lot of this pilot. And so when certain things just sort of start to fall into place, the, um, the, the relationships, the, the, uh, the, preachiness that Sorkin is fond mm -hmm. of when certain when you start to see certain um uh more Sorkin elements pop up in in the uh episode it gets to be a little uh disappointing for me is that yeah. big enough <laughs> yeah I mean I you know that that Grandpa Simpson gif of old man yells at cloud definitely definitely came flooding back to me on a, on a few occasions I mean just just the whole setup of the episode, which is just so directly reminiscent of Studio 60, mm -hmm. is just, just a, you know, it's, I guess it's a well-written scene, but it's just a clanging alarm bell that just instantly seemed to, seemed to shout, you know, you, you're going to, you know, some of this might be okay, but this show is on, on basic levels, just not for you. Um, well... I'm, and I'm going to interrupt you briefly to say I actually really like most of that opening scene. And maybe it's just because I can identify with feeling like both sides of the political spectrum, the talking heads are just noise. So maybe that's part of it. But then we get to the part where the our protagonist just is an asshole and eviscerates this poor college freshman who's just there very excited about the opportunity to listen to these very intelligent people speak and is just... You know, the, throughout the entire episode, this main character is shown to be very smart, but an asshole and mm -hmm. somebody that that because he's so very smart and so very gifted and so very whatever, it's OK that he's an asshole. And if for people who've heard <laughs> any of the behind the scenes stories, I wonder where Sorkin got this inspiration yeah. with himself well, and Keith Olbermann. So I don't know. That was a big problem for me. And there's something really uncomfortable to me about the whole setup of the show. It's set in 2010, and the yeah. characters are fictional, but the news is real. And that two-year distance is just enough time for, for I assume, Sorkin's writing every episode like he did with Studio 60. And that's two years is a perfect amount of time for perfect 2020 hindsight. Yeah. And, you know, so he gets to couch his characters, in particular the, the Jeff Daniels character, in this position where he gets to be perfectly right, we assume a whole bunch of the time. And therefore the fact that he's an asshole isn't important or isn't important to him or shouldn't be important to us. Mm -hmm. And that to me, it's just way too easy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and there's, and this is something that they talked about on firewall and iceberg podcast, uh, the over at hit fix, they were talking about this. There's no reason that he couldn't Sorkin couldn't have made up an analogous situation. It didn't have to be the exact same situation. It, you know, he did this on Sports Night all the time. He did this on The West Wing all the time. There's no reason he couldn't be making up, addressing the real situation that you know that the difficult situation that cable news networks are in at this point. If do they go for ratings or do they go for journalism? Um, it seems like most channels have decided to just go for ratings. Um, but he could address this without 
having to to point fingers at the actual people covering the story because he doesn't know what those news newsrooms were like. He doesn't know what information they were able to get. Like the fact that the, the one of the the heroes of the piece gets two phone calls in the first five minutes of the crisis that gives him every bit of information he could possibly need to know about it is just absurd and, and does actually just, just as much to, uh, to negate the, the actual journalism, the actual hard work that goes into the news theoretically Nick, is it just as much as all the blowhard talking heads that this main character says that he hates? So I I had a lot of trouble with with that element to the show. Yeah, it's this weird mix of real news with implausible behind the scenes plotting. This it's just a really weird decision. I mean, maybe it's just easier to to take stuff that already happened and that you can easily, you know. Honestly, he you know he denigrated Wikipedia, but I bet he spent a bunch of time gathering facts there. Oh, no, he hates the internet. That's going to come up again in the show, I'm sure. His protagonists always uh, are distrustful of of technology, and somehow right. that's looked on as endearing as opposed to yes. idiotic. Well, and also distrustful of the young and, you know, probably cars that move too quickly. You know, anyway, I mean, you know, there's a lot of good, a lot of good performances. It's nice to see Sam Watterson having fun and Emily mm-hmm. Mortimer doing her lip thing, but... Uh, yeah, I'm just worried. And what really worries me is the where, you know, because, you know, we both read too much about this show, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And what really worries me is what's going to happen with the female characters. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in this episode, we get to see Emily Mortimer be, you know, noble and competent, although, you know, too noble, like no producer in TV history is ever going to say she doesn't care about ratings. It's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Male, female, alien just <laughs> never. Um, but from what I understand from this point out, they we're going to see the female competency level go through the floor and uh, we're going to see breakdowns and, you know, general, you know, women being there to support men and men being the competent ones who get shit done. Yeah. Well, and as much as I enjoyed Emily Mortimer in this pilot, and I actually really do enjoy her. I liked Felicity Huffman better when she was playing the same character. Uh, roughly uh, on sports night. And as much as I enjoy uh, Sam Waterston here, he's so much fun. I like Leo better, who's the same character. Isaac Jaffe is the same character practically, or serves the same function as Leo McGarry does at a sports nights to West Wing to, to hear it's Sam Waterston. And if you're going to use the same exact same character tropes, then you're going to just set yourself up for comparison. And, on these other shows, they were always incredibly strong, competent women who were not defined necessarily by their gender, but also not separated from it completely. And I'm concerned that, based on what we've been hearing, and again, we haven't seen it yet, maybe we'll watch the coming episodes and decide that these other critics don't know what they're talking about, but from what we've been hearing, we're going to get characters much more strongly defined by their gender. Um, and that's frustrating. <laughs> and... Aaron Sorkin's ideas about their gender. <laughs> yes, I should say. Yes, that's a we'll that's we'll, a good we'll point. see how that goes. Yeah. Last thing I want to say is I, mm-hmm. I know it didn't bother you, but the thing with the cue cards at the end of the episode made me want to blow my brains out. What the hell was that? Oh. That oh. didn't bother me, but I will see that and raise you the terrible underscoring. The, oh yeah, the, the, the scoring is horrible. The, the, the theme is bad. Is bad. Well, and again, it's it's going for the exact same sound world as sports night and west wing it's it's like a combination of the two 
and it's a very different world. This is not a, you know, delightful fantasy of wouldn't it be nice if this is what the West Wing was like. And this is not behind the news at a Ratatat Sports, you know, this is not, you know, ESPN. This is different. It should sound different because these people's lives are different. But it doesn't. Yeah, you need something more hectic and more modern. And more energetic and, yeah. Yeah, it's Absolutely. it feels and it, it less feels shade. It feels piped in from a twenty-year-old series. Whether or not it's a Sorkin series, it's just it's out of place and weird. And hopefully, the I mean, it's a pilot. Maybe that'll change, but I kind of doubt it. So, now are you going to stick with this show for a little bit? Oh, I mean, we have to keep watching it, obviously, to <laughs> <laughs> see where this sandwich lands. Well, if only because I like a lot of the cast, too. I stuck with Studio 60 all the way to the end. We'll see what and happens. that was like 22 episodes or something? It was some, Yeah, it was, it was more than it probably deserved. Um, <laughs> but, I, I mean, I, I like Jeff Daniels, but I don't like him anywhere near as much as I like Bradley Whifford or, or, or even um, Matthew Perry. That was a much more difficult character for me, but I loved his performance of it, or Peter Krause and Josh Charles. You know, the, I feel like as time has gone on, the, the Sorkin uh, surrogate characters have become less surrogate and more Sorkin. And yeah. as that transition has happened over the years, I've liked them less and less. Um, I don't know. But despite all these things, I did end up actually, I went in with very low expectations and came out actually liking the newsroom pilot, despite my problems with it. So... Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah, there, there's stuff to like. And I, I just want to add, I, I, I hasten to add also that if, if you're, if whether or not you've seen a Sorkin show before, if you want to go in to this new show with an objective view and feel like you're not biased, for the love of God, do not read any Aaron Sorkin interviews because Jesus, Don't he's do an it. asshole. <laughs> Holy crap. Well, the other thing I would say is if you watch this pilot and you like elements of it but are frustrated by others, check out West Wing. Because the elements that you like are probably going to be in the West Wing, and the elements you don't like are probably going to be toned down somewhat. Mm-hmm. So, or Sports Night, I suppose. That's actually yeah. my advice for you, based on what you're saying. I think you would like the West Wing. Yeah, we'll see about that. I, I don't know if I can deal with seven seasons of starry-eyed political idealism, but we'll see. Oh, he got sacked after four, so the show takes a turn in season five. But okay, anyway, well, that's for hmm. that's for another time. Right, let's go on to, I'm going to mention quickly, Lost Girl had original skin and Raging Faye. And I'm going to mention these just because they did their body swap episode, which was um, from last week, original skin, and was a lot of fun. It was just, I always enjoy body swap episodes when they're done well, because it's just fun to watch the, the actors get to play the different characters and really uh, have some fun. So that was a, a particularly entertaining episode. I wasn't as interested in the one this past week, but I look forward to continuing to watch Lost Girl as it, uh, as it finishes she's out its second season our final show before we go to our uh, dvd shelf is bunheads which had for fanny and inherit the wind right i I'm, i still can't get around the name of this show it's really cumbersome <laughs> uh but i'm gonna do my best to ignore it i think for me the nicest thing about bunheads so far is i've, I've been finding its pacing very untv like and i don't know if that's something imported from Sherman Palladino's other shows, but you know we're th- we're now three episodes into the show, and you know you're still waiting for that. You know you figure if the show has a formula, it's you know peppy new Vegas import gets set up in a new town and starts teaching these kids and bonding with them and having this 
you know, tight repartee. And, you know, we're really not there yet. And we don't know when we're going to get there or even if we're going to get there. You know, they're, they're, the episodes progress in a, in a very organic seeming way with these long conversations. In each case with characters we hadn't met previously, you know, as we're sort of slowly expanding the world. It's, it's got this very casual pace to it that I'm really enjoying. Yeah, that's interesting that you talk about it not feeling as TV, uh, because if any, what I'm picking up from these second and third episodes is as much as I enjoyed the pilot and as much as I still enjoy enjoy the show, I'm getting somewhat frustrated by their formula of Kelly Bishop spends the first two thirds of the episode being bitchy to to Sutton Foster. The mother-in-law spends the first two thirds of the episode just being over dramatic and absolutely intolerable to spend any time with uh for the first two-thirds of the episode and then the sudden foster the main character uh just does some makes a gracious gesture or does something uh particularly kind to reach out to to her and then she goes okay i guess you're not terrible yeah so that's, that's, that's that that aspect is definitely a little formulaic it's getting tiresome because at this point i mean just particularly in this week's episode inherit the wind with all the talk of the 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 land and the house and the money it just it's it's frustrating because i yeah. want to to see the progress this relationship has made actually go somewhere as opposed to be unraveled at the beginning of each episode which is kind of what's happened so far um but i'm hoping that that will just sort of work itself out <laughs> well i mean the wounds are still fresh at the same time you do kind of want sutton foster in the first five minutes to say it's not your house shut up it was never your house you just lived here stop yeah. being a bitch but you know it's abc family she can't say that no she can't <laughs> though um, there is an element to the character that yeah i actually feel like she would say that which yeah. is not something i can say about other characters on abc family shows so that's kind of yeah. nice uh, yeah, and, and this this week uh, in particular, we get the kids and their individual lives being uh, being expanded a bit. I love the the, the running gag about their um, their the ugly toes. foot competition. <laughs> that was nice. Um, yeah, I mean the besides Boo, um, the you know, we don't really I don't feel too much individual personality out of them yet. But you know, again, they're she seems to be taking her time with these characters and letting us sort of take them in more or less one by one. And I agree with you about uh, Kelly Bishop and Sutton Foster's relationship. That definitely needs to advance. But at the same time, the, 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 the plot is moving so pleasantly slowly that it, it does make sense that they don't have the kinks worked out right away. But the, mm. you're right. They do need to find new ways around it. Yeah. Um, I don't know about how, how strong the ratings are. I know that it premiered weaker than people would have liked. Um, but I still am enjoying the show, so I hope that it sticks around long enough that we actually do get to see at least the re resolution to the rest of the season, if not a season two. Yep. But we'll see. So now what we're going to do, uh, hit up a few show notes. Uh, you can find us at soundonsite.org. Um, there'll be a post up there where you can leave comments. Let us know what you thought of uh, all these different shows and uh, <laughs> where you're at with True Blood and Newsroom and if we're just crazy and and uh, what you're... What you think the most surreal and crazy episode of Eagle Heart is, for example, um, we will uh, also be upstreaming there, and we're upstreaming at Current. You can find us in iTunes. We have a chaptered M4A feed as well as an unchaptered MP3 feed. You can uh, contact us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are. 
I'm at Sucker Howl. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. And I think that's about... Oh, um, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. So we're going to take a quick break and then come back and talk Life Unexpected with the TV-aholic Jason Griffin. Okay, it's... Uh... 753 and we're talking high school nicknames people uh we have got blocks on the line uh oh it's Baze from high school i actually really need to talk to you right high school now. wait a minute you went to high school with kate okay maybe you shed some light on your no, teen years Ryan, there'll be no shedding of light oh. let's not talk about high school okay everybody knows that i hated high school so what are you talking about who hates high school okay what'd you have like a pizza face or something no like an unrequited love affair with Ryan, a driver's ed teacher Ryan, stop. or were you one of those girls that got knocked up on prom nights did you get knocked up on prom night more like we're formal oh face Okay, Kate, I really need to talk to you outside in the parking lot. What? What is so important that you couldn't wait until after I was off the air? Meet Lux, our daughter. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzig, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we're talking Life Unexpected. And Jason Griffin, the TV-holic uh, from DV Times 3 Podcast, is here to join us. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I was, as I was telling you earlier, I'm very excited about this DVD shelf for reasons that I think our listeners will shortly realize. But why don't we start, as we always do, please uh, tell us why, why did you want to pick Life Unexpected? Why is that the show that you want to talk about? Well, mostly because it was my third choice. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the types of shows and things that you cover and uh, on, on this segment. And, you know, you don't want to throw out something like, you know, talk about Friends or, or <laughs> Seinfeld or, you know, something that's been talked to death or whatever. So, you know, something s smaller, something that, uh, uh, you know, that I actually really liked, but it didn't last very long. So it wouldn't be too hard to like go back and revisit, mm -hmm. uh, you know, before recording the segment. And, uh, and because the show, I think the other, I can't remember what the other show that I picked, but somebody else already had it on, <laughs> on your list. So, uh, by the time we came around to it, life unexpected was, uh, was the pick well and i know for from it's a smaller show it's a kind of a perfect show for the segment because it like you're saying it is a shorter run and also it's one that i feel like the pilot got a bit of buzz from from critics and then it kind of drifted off people's radar people kind of stopped talking about it at least the critics i was following at the time so while it has i feel like a strong cult following there are a lot of people who don't necessarily know about the show yeah well it played on the cw so you know there's a lot of people that don't even know that that network exists. So <laughs> <laughs> then to find the actual people that actually watched it on that network is even a smaller group. Yeah. So, so do you have, uh, so what is this about the show that you connect with? Did you, I, did you catch it like as it was running? Did you catch up with it between seasons or? No, I, I started up with it when it started. Uh, it was a mid season show came on uh, in uh, January 
2010 and and i i liked it from the very beginning i think the the main thing that i really liked about it is it reminded me of the style of family drama type things from the wb mm-hmm. before it merged with upn and became the cw uh it had it felt more like you know, the Everwoods or the Gilmore Girls or things like that, and a lot different than the Gossip Girls and the 90210s and and other things that the, the CWs had, uh, you know, at the same time. And another show before, you know, that was on before this was Privileged mm-hmm. uh, that only lasted, you know, one season, and it had that same sort of feel. Uh, and it really was that. I think it was sort of – it harkened back to uh, – some of the shows that I really liked on uh, the WB and that was, I think sort of the, the first sort of thing that how I really connected with it. Yeah. The WB definitely had, it, it had a different uh, feel to its shows than the CW has now. And maybe that's, uh, it can be a hard thing to kind of pin down. Uh, but I, I mean, I loved the, the WB formula, at least, or that style of a show, at least about half of them. I always say that, uh, the, the WB was really established by two main shows that both started in its first year, and that was uh, Seventh Heaven and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I'm not a big Seventh Heaven fan, but I love Buffy. Uh, and so there were a lot of yeah. those. Don't, don't diss Seventh Heaven. Have you tried watching it lately? It's hilarious. <laughs> Seventh Heaven. And you, you haven't, and you haven't moved on to uh, to to the 2.0 version and been watching the Secret Life of the American Teenager and ABC Family. <laughs> Oh, ABC Family. I have a feeling. Well, you know, I, it's the thing I always try to remind myself. Uh, as much as I like to give the ABC Family some hard times, they also made Middleman, which is a show that I love. So, <laughs> um, but to to bring it back to life, unexpected. Uh, you're you're right. It does have more of a WB vibe. And as much as uh, you know, I I appreciate some of the stuff that's going on on the CW now. I think the shows on it that I most enjoy are the ones that started on the WB or have more that WB kind of sensibility to them. So I definitely see where you're coming at with that. The reason that, uh, that I am so interested and excited for this segment is that it's a televerse and and DVD DVD shelf first in that I'm actually not a big fan of the show. It didn't really work for me. I didn't connect with it. And so I'm really looking forward to getting into sort of, you know, what, what, you know, worked for me and didn't work for me and, and, and how that contrasts with your experience with the show, Jason. But before we get into that, uh, Simon, what did, what was your experience with like, and had you heard of it before? What did you think of the show? Uh, I heard of it before. I didn't know anything about the premise or the cast or anything really. So no idea what I was in for. And I'm, I'm also, I'm in a similar place as Kate, maybe more so. I, (laughs) I, I, I really did not enjoy the show, and I um, yeah. At, at first, like the in the pilot, I think the pilot was actually the episode I probably enjoyed the most, if only because you know there are aspects of the premise, you know this this idea of a kid just sort of popping back into these lives of into the lives of some relatively immature adults, and sort of them having to you know readjust their expectations for life and you know have to make room for a kid they didn't necessarily want and didn't necessarily want in the first place rather which they had to be honest about and you know that to me was the interesting part of the show unfortunately um i feel like the fans and to some degree the showrunners thought that 
the interesting part of the show, the love triangle between the uh, the mother of the, the between the parents of the child and uh, Kate's husband Ryan, who strikes me as a reasonable man caught in a horrible marriage, uh, for for well I guess for at least half the series, and um, yeah I don't know that aspect of the show really does absolutely nothing for me. Um, I'm actually gonna step in. I I agree with you, um, Simon, about the pilot. I was actually uh, there were elements of the pilot that I wasn't, you know, I was a little leery about. I wasn't a huge fan of, for example, the the soundtrack and 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 some of the underscoring. Um, but there's a lot about it that I actually really enjoyed, and particularly there's this fabulous moment. I really enjoyed Sherry Appleby's performance as Kate, particularly in the pilot. I agree. I'm not a huge fan. I don't care about Kate and Bay's as a couple and I feel like for to really I feel like you kind of have to buy into them to to really get the series and to be a big fan of the series but there's this fabulous moment in the the pilot where Lux asks her her biological mom did you ever even think about keeping me and she just says no and I, I the that's such a wonderful performance just even just that moment and so there's these these seeds and the pilot that I think were really interesting and had a lot of potential, but as a whole, I guess it didn't quite come together for me. Uh, Jason, why are we completely idiot idiots and wrong and all of that fun stuff? <laughs> well, I don't know that you're necessarily, uh, you know, wrong necessarily. You know, different things work for different people. Uh, some people, you know, different things about a show, uh, even when they're not working, there's enough about the show that they like that keeps them coming back. Um, I would sort of agree with the parents' sort of love triangle thing in that that really wasn't there in the beginning too much. Like, it didn't look like they were actually going to go down that road. And I'm not necessarily a big fan that they actually did, like where the, the finale of the first season turns into him racing to the chapel to try and stop the wedding, you know, that that type of stuff. I wasn't a real big fan of actually of them going that direction, but there was just so much about the show. The first few episodes of the first season are a little repetitive. Like they kind of tread the same territory a lot, but I think in the middle part of it, it really gets into, there's just this interesting dynamic of like Simon mentioned of the whole story idea of these two people having to deal with, you know, their child, one that, you know, didn't even really know that the child was ever out there, really. And uh, the other one that didn't feel prepared for as a teenager and didn't want to, you know, keep her, thought she was doing something good, you know, really for her child, giving her a, a chance at a, a much better life, uh, but never really checking up to find out, you know, that a lot of things went badly uh, for Lux in, in the thing. For me, in... The basic storytelling elements, the the basic things out there, there's nothing really new. Uh, so what really interests me is when there's something sort of like a new, uh, a new or different mixture or something that you haven't really seen before. And so, you know, family drama, teen drama, you know, you've kind of seen this all before. But the approach they took to get to the show of, uh, you know, a teenager coming back into their you know, the parents that life later in life and them trying to reconnect and actually become a family, I just found really interesting. And I thought that most of the time they did a really good job uh, with the story elements within that is all things that you've, 
you've seen before, you know, her infatuation with the, you know, the football star and, and all these things, they're, they're all, they're all things that you've seen before, but this mixture was just, I don't know. It's just very interesting to me. And, uh, I was one that I, it became a show that I was really looking forward to, like on the, you know, on a weekly basis. Well, and that's for me, that I think that's the easiest and best way to tell what shows you're, are really working. The ones that don't sit on your DVR for, for, <laughs> you know, three quarters of the week until you get, Oh, I better finish that in time for the podcast. Um, which has definitely happened with a few different shows that we've watched over the past year. Um, the, that's interesting that the, 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 you mentioned, uh, Jason, the, the element of Kate and Bayes having this history in high school together and her being hung up on the football star. Cause for me, that's actually one of the elements of the show that least worked for me because I, I guess maybe it's probably just a me thing, but I'm really tired of this idea that writers seem to love about the notion that high school is, is utterly definitive of people's lives. And so this idea that 16 years later, uh, Kate hasn't talked to Bayes in a very long time. We get the impression but she's still completely hung up on him. And maybe they're supposed to be a forever couple. Like, I know there are some of those, you know, that's another popular trope in television. But uh, for me, it's just that whole notion just didn't really bring true. And for, you know, a lot, I've seen a lot of people compare this show to Gilmore Girls. And for me, the difference, which I, I, I like Gilmore Girls much more. And the difference for me is that while both shows feature, uh, you know, s smart, uh, savvy, uh, uh, potentially more responsible teens as compared to their parents who don't really have their lives together. On Gilmore Girls, I always felt like Lorelai was still a parent, whereas on this show, I feel like that's more of, that. you know, that it seems like it's less uh, less the case. It, you know, I felt like the, the adults were acting like the kids, and I don't really... I'm not a big fan of uh, teen high school set soap operas to start with, unless they have people killing vampires or, you know, <laughs> something along that vein. Solving <laughs> mysteries. Solving mysteries, you know, figuring out who murdered their best friend, you know, things like that. Superpowers um, or some such thing. Something, you know, something where there's going to be some awesome action sequences. Uh, and so to, to take that sort of, more soapy side and have the the adults acting like teenagers i think didn't really work for me but what did uh is is this again this notion of built family that you were talking about jason and i feel like this is a really popular trope in television um but I, I think they actually do a really good job of of building of showing you know a different another kind of family and in this time when, with obama recently coming out in support of gay marriage and talk about how from joe biden about how will and grace yeah, and now Modern Family and Glee have done a, a huge, have made huge steps forward um, in our culture for people talking about family is not, you know, not just one thing or, you know, parents aren't just one thing. I think that's actually really interesting. And one of the things I would point out as a strength is I think Kara Smith is actually really good as Ryan. Yeah, um, he's, I mean, it's tricky to separate character and actor sometimes, but Ryan is sort of written as the only adult in the show to me for most of the series the the pattern especially for a, a bunch of the first season i was finding is the pattern of the average episode of life unexpected is something like crisis arises everyone acts manic and 
unprepared for what has happened until the crisis moment hits a turning point, and then suddenly someone wises up and has a moment of, of clarity and acts like an adult for a moment, and then all is well. Repeat next week. Uh, but the one exception to that... That's a TV that, show. <laughs> that, that is. It's true. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But it, it was so clearly so clearly delineated, uh, more so on this show than on others. But I think the exception is uh, is Kara Smith's character, who I just felt so bad for throughout the entire show, because especially hit just his scenes alone with Kate just so often just feature her just being totally irrational and 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 also just the what Kate was saying this our Kate um about you know the, the show's idea of built family is interesting unfortunately this idea that's sort of embedded within the show very early on that Kate and Baze were meant to be together and that you're supposed to root for them kind of undermines that because it's it sort of pushes against the show's themes in a, in a strange way because you know yes their their family is kooky and strange and and unorthodox but really don't worry ultimately we're going to make we're going to make good nuclear real soon okay well that that little bit interests me from you is where where in it do you think that it is baked in that that's the that they're the couple like they're meant to be from from the beginning i mean oh. other than they other than they sort of sleep together in in the first episode that everything sort of comes back i never really found it to be like they were going to be the couple until much farther into the first season oh i picked up on that in the pilot and definitely by the second episode maybe it's just i've maybe it's just that's something that i've come to or like i've been taught by seeing enough uh television shows that haven't you know subverted my expectations of the as soon as you have a couple who um sleep together but it was a, just a mistake, and you know it was. We'll, we'll never talk about it again. I've been trained by apparently too much uh, after-school soaps or something to to know that those are the people that are meant to be together. You know, this notion of the the reliable, responsible one is the boring one, and the the difficult, the one you're always fighting with is the person you're supposed to be. You know, I don't know the one who's immature and you're mad at all the time, but secretly you're hot for. As opposed yeah. to you just actually don't like them, um, but I don't know that. But it, that I think that actually might have a lot to do with why I had more frustration with this, with that like relationship than you did, Jason. I think that's actually really interesting. I maybe if I went back and watched um, it with that perspective shifted somewhat. Or spoiler alert: they end up together two years down the line <laughs> um, without knowing. You know, maybe that would have really uh, impacted the way I viewed the show if I didn't feel like they were pushing that couple on me. Yeah, that's interesting because I remember at the time thinking that they weren't going down that road. Like that the until until somewhere down the until somewhere down the line where, you know, two or three episodes from the end of the first season is where it really like you were like, "Oh, really? They're going to go down that road?" Uh, was for <laughs> me like uh, the, you know, but up until then it didn't seem like they were actually going to do that. Uh, can, at least can to I, me. Can, can I just say that um, since we're sort of talking about the end of the series anyway, the, the finale, especially the last, I would say, seven or so minutes of the finale is jaw-dropping in a bad yes. way. Well, 
that's the type of thing that happens when you're working on a series and then they come along when you're pretty much done with the last episode and say, we're not going to do anymore. And so you try and do some sort of wrap up by adding, by adding, you know, a five to seven minute uh, sort of wrap up thing that really doesn't from a lot of different levels doesn't make, doesn't make, make any sense. sense. Uh, <laughs> there's no reason to think of from her school history that she would ever be for any reason chosen or picked or have the grades to give a speech at high school graduation. I was very glad they specifically didn't say that she was valedictorian because mathematically that wouldn't be possible. I mean, maybe the most improved student or something like that gets a chance to speak and is the last person to speak. Uh, You know, that all, yeah, that all is very much like we need to do something to give the, you know, the fans of the show some sort of wrap up. They have uh, they have a they have a slot they have like a speech slot for the one they thought would be dead by eighteen. Well, and and it's also something that almost every uh, high school graduation scene that I've seen also fails this test. But Tasha is sitting next to Jones, even <laughs> though her last name is Sibiak. <laughs> and this is guilt. You know, uh, I'm pretty sure Gilmore Girls was guilty of this. I know Buffy was guilty of this. They said in alphabetical order every school ever, and and she Lux has like eight people that have come to see her graduate. But there's only there's definitely no more than a three to one ratio of students to parents. So she just has like all of like her entire extended family. Wait a second. Of all the implausible things in the ending, you're quibbling. You, you, your problems are with the seating arrangement. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like not, 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 not the stuff with Tasha. Who's yeah. There's that. Amazing. <laughs> really? Though if we're going to talk about Tasha, let's talk about Ksenia solo for a little bit, because I was very surprised to see her turn up. I've been enjoying the hell out of her on lost girl. This for the past uh, several weeks or months at this point. Um, so I actually, I really like her, that actress. And I had a lot of fun with that character, despite I had some issues with some stereotypical or perhaps not perfectly written scenes for her. But I actually really liked the performance. I think there's actually a lot of good performances on the show. Uh, there's, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, very dramatic moments and I think they all do really well with them. Um, I, th- I think it's interesting that so many of the people on this show seem to be, uh, snake bit when it comes to actually being on a show like Christopher Palaha, this, he, Oh my God, you know, he, <laughs> I stuck with Ringer too been, long. This guy's been on like four or five, like major series that <laughs> this is. This is actually the longest one he's ever been on. That's, you know, 26 episodes. Uh, and, you know, uh, same, Robertson. With, same with Britt Robertson. She, Secret you know, Circle. Secret Circle only went 22 this, this past season. And it's just uh, uh, sort of interesting <laughs> there as well. Um, but, yeah, I'll give you that the ending is good in the sense of that it gave – the people that were actually still watching the show, like the people that had stuck with it when, you know, it was getting barely a million people watching it on like mm-hmm. on a good week or something like that, uh, you know, down to the end that it gave them that open ended closure. Like, here's what happened. Uh, granted, I would have rather actually seen uh, like that final episode is like an episode 
where they took instead they took the last segment out that would have like ended you know whatever would have happened in like the last five six minute segment of that episode uh they took that out and they jumped ahead two years mm-hmm. and, and showed you here's and just gave you a sort of a scene to be able to say this is what happened to everybody this is who ended up together and all that stuff personally i would have rather seen the two years like i would have <laughs> rather seen what happened at the end of of that episode and how that turned into where all the re- you know i'd rather have seen all of that take place instead of uh just just having it but for what it's worth i'm glad that they did do something yeah yeah that that scene's not for me <laughs> you know that's and i think it works for the people that it's actually for i i think the the end is also a betrayal of the beginning in the sense you know in they really strain in developing sort of lux's background you know the time she spent away from her biological parents and other sort of aspects of the plot they stress that bad things happen and not everything works out you know, neatly all the time, which is sort of one of the more appealing aspects of the early part of the show. And then in the end, they just strain to give everyone that like this picture perfect, literally picture perfect, happy ending. <laughs> and it it just, it feels mailed in from some other concept. Well, it is because it's, it's too soon. Yeah. It, it really is too soon. I mean, it other, you know, there's been a few other shows that have sort of done that same thing where they've added in that, last little thing to to clear it up and you know trust me i don't think it works either (laughs) i think there are there are a lot of problems with the with the final scene i mean it almost goes over the top uh in the happiness where they even you know they give math you know and has ended up with this this you know the lady that ran their show at the station Mm. uh and uh you know if they would have went one step farther and had the other guy at the bar end up with the social worker. I mean, that would have been, you know, that would have been just a whole nother step uh, yeah. uh, farther that they, they could have gone. Uh, but yeah, that it doesn't work unless you were a huge fan of the show that were watching it on a weekly basis for the year that it was on. Uh, and then, then it works on simply the basic level of you Being get an ending, you get, you get some closure uh, you get something out of it instead of because if they would have just ended because obviously the show would have ended with her talking to Ryan about she just found out that, uh, you know, his former girlfriend is pregnant, uh, that that would have been sort of the thing that left stuff up in the air for what's going to happen mm. in the next season or or what would have been the rest of that season since that season was, you know, basically that was the first uh, uh, part of season two, which they ended up not picking up the second nine episodes. So that would have just been 13 episodes into what would have been a, you know, a regular season. And I think they did an okay enough job on short notice, giving fans some sort of closure are are we sure that Julia being pregnant wasn't part of their sort of machinations to make the show end quicker? Because that was another thing in the episode that just struck me as, do they live in an alternate universe where sperm is superpowered? Because two pregnancies on the show that come out of one night stands, really? But I don't know, maybe that's just me. Yeah, 
but I mean, as far as these things go, that that you know that didn't bother me too much, um, and plus it would have given them a lot more. Yeah, you know, I think that would have only heightened the conversation about what is family and all that. I think you know that's that's something that they were expecting to have nine more episodes at least to to start addressing. Um, so I don't know. That's to me, that's the least of, of the show's show's issues. But at, we've we've uh, as I should have anticipated, we've eaten up almost all of our time and barely. I feel like we've only kind of scratched the surface of this show. Um, are there any other things you guys want to you know definitely particularly want to mention? Um, I just I just want to mention that, um, and I'm sorry, it's going to be another bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, even by standards, and their and the CW standards are low in this regard. The soundtrack choices are very, very annoying. In this, in in the sense of, I think this is maybe the 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 worst offender in that I that I can think of in terms of songs telling you what the emotional content of a scene is in their lyrics explicitly. I don't know how the music department uh, how they did it. It's actually kind of an achievement. Okay, well, on that, oh, so. <laughs> positive note <laughs> I, I will say as as my final thing that while for me a lot of the pieces don't come together I, I I think that there are some choices that are made in regards to the uh the characters just even the fact that the mom is the one who we, we learn has less of her stuff together shit together and is less naturally parental I think is really interesting I think there's a lot of interesting ideas here that for me are get drowned out by other elements of the show that don't work for me but I would be interested to see if uh, if the creator uh, Liz Tegler get a chance to make another show what that would be um, given that they do have some interesting ideas that they're playing with and that they're addressing even if it doesn't come together there's potential and so I think that you know that I will definitely I think check out uh, these creators n n new projects if they get to you know the next time they get to create a show so if, if only for that thank you for picking this show jason <laughs> do you have any uh any other final thoughts well i'll say it's you know it's far from perfect but i just found these the basic story uh and the way that they went about this this uh you know this family drama slash teen drama I just found it very compelling, and uh, I don't know. At the time, I was I I really liked it. I liked the uh, I think the soundtrack. I guess maybe I don't I don't pay attention to as much as actually what's being sung as to the actual <laughs> I don't know the the mood that the song is trying to create. I thought that most of the time uh, that the soundtrack worked pretty well. Um, also, I I don't know. Uh, I th I think at times certain things were, as I had mentioned before, a little repetitive in the beginning. Some things were handled a little, like, heavy-handed. Uh, they definitely tried to expand the show uh, in the second season uh, with uh, some, you know, some more characters uh, uh, with uh, where Faze goes and gets a job at his dad's, at his dad's firm. Uh, and and they they did a, a a lot of a lot of things in the second season to try and expand out uh from just the initial uh little family that they had 
Um, I think it's worth checking out. It's, you know, it's only 26 episodes. Uh, it's, you know, you can, uh, <laughs> I, I started watching, you know, on, uh, Friday and I, to, to record the segment on Sunday and I ended up watching the whole first season over again. So, uh, I still like it. <laughs> well, that's gr- no, that's, that's great. And I, hopefully we will hear from, from passionate uh, fans of the show and, and people, because I know that they're out there, people who really connected with the show and really uh, were very disappointed that it got when it got uh, canceled, but also who were, were following it week to week and really, uh, really into it. So I hope that we hear from you. Please let us know how completely wrong we are and how we're missing the point and et cetera. I look forward to your hate mail. Absolutely. And if you haven't seen the show, maybe check it out. Let us know what you think, where, where you fall on this. I, I would be very interested. To, to see, uh, you know, what the split is. Yeah, I think it's definitely worth watching. So, yeah, yeah go, cool. go, go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jason, thank you so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, they can find me uh, at tvaholic.com and uh, at the tvaholic on Twitter. And then they can find uh, my podcast uh, at tvtimes3.com and on Twitter at tvtimes3. Well, and thank you again, Jason, so much for coming on the show and defending your choice. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.